This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello, 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 and welcome to the return after winter break of I Know The Face, the only podcast which honours the often underappreciated by the masses work of character actors. I'm Stephen Portio. I'm Andrew Carroll. And today we're talking about the bag man. Sorry, I meant hangman. <laughs> it's Glenn Powell. Andrew, run down his history. Glenn Powell was born in 1988 in Austin, Texas. His first role was in Spy Kids 3D, Game Over, as Long-Fingered Boy. Some of his early supporting roles include Richard Linklater's Fast Food Nation, Denzel Washington's The Great Debaters, and Christopher, no- Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, and The Expendables 3. Uh, his career began to gain traction in 2016 when Richard Linklater ca- came calling again, offering Powell the much meatier supporting role of the likeable and libidinous Finnegan in Everybody Wants Some. In the same year, he played real-life astronaut John Glenn in Hidden Figures, beginning a tradition of Powell playing both pilots and mid-century white men that aren't racist. In 2018, Powell proved himself a bona fide rom-com star as both the other guy in the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Society and the romantic lead in the effortlessly charming Netflix rom-com Set It Up. Hell yeah. In 2022, Powell's career took flight with his role as Lieutenant Jake Hangman Saracen in Top Gun Maverick. Most recently, Powell executive produced and starred in J.D. Dillard's Devotion, in which he played real-life Navy fighter pilot Tom Hudner opposite fellow rising star Jonathan Majors. Powell will reunite with Richard Linklater for the film Hitman about an undercover cop moonlighting as an assassin, which he co-wrote. Powell is a licensed pilot and may just be the most handsome man we've covered on the podcast, though he's not just a pretty face. In the words of his Devotion co-star Majors, he has an alchemy of dreaminess. Oh, it's absolutely true. It's very true. Um, yeah, no, I'm really glad we're covering Glenn Powell because I truly believe that if we didn't cover him now, uh, we might never be able to because mm. um, I think he's going to become a big star. That man's star is on the rise. Yeah, imminently. Um, right now he's perfect right now the face because I think he's mostly been a supporting player in blockbusters mm-hmm. like Top Gun Maverick or he's been the co-lead in smaller budget movies like Set It Up or Everybody Wants Him. But I found that in like basically everything I've ever watched him in he either leaves a huge impression or he straight up steals the movie. Yeah, even in The Dark Knight Rises where he's like why are you here? There's no money. He's the stockbroker Hardy, isn't he? And Tom Hardy's like why are you here? <laughs> Fucks him across the room. Um... I actually remember the first time I saw him in anything was Scream Queens, the Ryan Murphy comedy slasher series. I don't think I've ever seen him in that. I've seen him in that. I've seen the first episode uh, and then never went back to it. Sure, yeah, and I felt about that how I often feel about Ryan Murphy shows, where it had a lot of talent involved, a great concept, and a bit of style, but mm. it was ultimately like sort of empty and couldn't really settle yeah. on the tone. In it, like Powell played this over-the-top trust fund kid in college named Chad Radwell, who was the head of a golfing fraternity and thought he was like God's gift to everyone. Um, he has a line in the show where he says, everyone wants to get with this. Women, men, animals at the zoo, plants probably. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, he just brought so much charisma and vibrancy and, and a slightly off-kilter energy to the part while still knowing exactly the right tone to pitch his performance at for the series random, mm. which given Ryan Murphy's involvement was campy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, I remember I, there being a lot of pink absolutely um but he i remember being actually like excited for him to show up in scenes and that and i think he just brings a similar charisma and off-kilter energy to the movies you watch for this episode but the films are better his characters are more well-rounded he's given more time to shine and um i also feel like the, his characters and everybody wants some set it up and top Gun maverick are all quite similar they're these very ambitious, fast-talking, quick-witted people, but also people who can be kind of caddish and rude and self-centered mm. and vain. But somehow it's not repetitious. Like um, It doesn't grow old. And I 
this is a bit of a side note, but I had to write something for work recently about Denzel Washington, who actually directed Powell when he was a teen in The Great Debaters in 2006, mm. and apparently encouraged Powell to consider a career in acting. And um, I saw the New York Times critic A.O. Scott highlight in a review of The Little Things that Washington plays a lot of similar characters, these haunted men with a mission. And Scott said, you've seen Denzel Washington in this kind of role before, but the great ones can play endless variations on the same theme. And feels exactly the way that way with Powell. Mm. Like, it's variations on team on a theme like sometimes he's playing an unrepentant jerk who you nonetheless enjoyed the company of in spite of yourself like and everybody wants him sometimes he's the jerk that you eventually learn has some good in him like in like you know, Hangman Top and Top Gun yeah Charlie and Set It Up yeah or, like he's the jerk that needs yeah. to see the air of his ways and, yeah. like, and set it yeah. up and make a change for the better but um, all the time you like his characters despite their negative qualities and think it's you know partly because Pell is very classically handsome yeah. in that kind of all-american yeah. kind of way you were talking about um on twitter about watching a lot of fan cams for this yeah yeah you you would be surprised how many there are for set it up which is like i think a lot of people like but i also think just as many people haven't seen yeah no yeah. that movie's great yeah it's really really good um yeah. but on top of like obvious good looks like i think the camera just loves him he's he moves very elegantly he's great at delivering reams of dialogue with his kind of slightly southern accent mm. um so just on those roles and those qualities, I think he's destined for stardom. What really cemented my feelings, though, that he, he's going to be huge is that like he's the co-lead in Devotion, and we'll talk more about that movie mm. in depth later. But just briefly, like I was surprised at how effortlessly he helped carry that movie while playing a character very different in temperament to these previous roles Yeah, yeah. Um, that I mentioned. So I think he's versatile, too, and could probably play leads in lots of different types of movies. Yeah, and he executive produced that movie as well, which would have, like given him a certain amount of power I think uh, but he really kind of steps back and lets um, very selfless the, the, the real, work. yeah the real stars shine I guess yeah because yeah. it, it should be about the major's character yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we get into everybody wants them let's do it yeah I have the pop for that so this is a comedy set in Texas in the 80s that revolves around Jake Pippa Blake Jenner a pitcher in baseball who heads off to college to play the sport and he moves into a house just off campus with a bunch of his future teammates, one of which is Finnegan, uh, played by Glenn Powell. And the movie takes place over the weekend before semester starts and follows Jake and the guys as they get to know each other, you know, explore the campus, party and try to pick up girls. And in the midst of all this, uh, Jake meets a nice girl studying theatre at the college named Beverly, played by um, Zoe Deutsch. Excuse me, ladies. You know, I, I couldn't help but notice you ladies being hassled by that asshole in the car back there. It's a shame. You know, some guys are just so aggressive. You know, myself, I'm a firm supporter of the ERA, although I doubt it's going to have an immediate impact on the societal norm of the male gender initiating virtually all contact with prospective females, uh-huh. you know, which might seem predatory on the surface, but I assure you Trust that... Trust me, you should be investing this energy elsewhere. Well, now you just plain hurt our feelings. <laughs> Do you also hate guys that are athletic, intelligent, sometimes endearingly clumsy, or is that just her? Hey, did you mention Hunk? I didn't mention Hunk Dale, not yet. Okay. <laughs> um... Y'all want to know the truth? Always. It'll set you free. I like the quiet guy in the back seat. In the middle. What do you think of Everybody Wants Him? I love Everybody Wants Him. I haven't seen it in a while. I watched it, I think, last year at some stage. So uh, maybe I'm, I'm a little bit rustier on earth than you. But yeah, I think... Um, what's I watched it as part of like a double bill with Days and Confused, which this mm. is a spiritual sequel to. And I I was I was struck by like how much meaner it is. That's yeah, exactly <laughs> the same thing. Yeah. I remember watching in college and 
know, loving like the Recreate 80 setting, the soundtrack, um, and capturing that kind of exciting, fizzy mm. feeling, you know, yeah. starting college. Uh, but then, and I think it still all has that, but then watching it again on a rewatch, I was like, they're awful to each other, yeah, the characters yeah. in this movie. Yeah. Um, although I think Finnegan is probably, of that bunch, probably the nicest. Yeah. Or like so the more likable yeah. one. Yeah. 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 And I think maybe it's because, you know, the characters are older and that bit more world weary, but they're still kind of young and impressionable and still meet each other and meeting each other all for the first time. And so they have to kind of haze the freshmen that are coming in, I guess, uh, which is a real American concept that uh, I don't really want to understand. Um, <laughs> and I think all, all of them try to have the tr- want this kind of ability to kind of chameleon their way through college uh, going from like disco a disco party to a country party to a punk party to fancy dress and none of them do it as well as Finnegan that man's a chameleon Um, and all all of this is in like pursuit of women who are either already wise or growing wise to these kind of men who only seem to have one track minds and so it's not really about who's the best looking or who's got game anymore it's about who's so good at faking it till they make it Finnegan, or who's so naturally genuine that they don't have to, who would be Jake Bradford, who's Blake Jenner's character. Um, it's it's just really funny how Finnegan the fakester, as I have written here, is <laughs> um, is more than do- willing to do whatever it takes, be it like begging, uh, debasing himself or flirting his way into the skirt of the first pretty thing that passes him by. And it, it, it is really funny as well, because he's like a bit older than... Um, the freshman anyway yeah. and um, but he is also stunningly immature at times where he's like walking down the stairs and in a German accent with a golf club on a, at his crotch just goes onward upward and inward oh yeah <laughs> he's got a lot of bits he does yeah 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 where he's talking about his um, his average penis and he's yeah. like I'm a performer I'm a grower not a shower <laughs> <laughs> I love the bit where he's um there's the bit where Jake says he feels like a phony because they've, you know, tried to be disco people, country people, punks together with women. And he's like, who are we actually? And Finnegan says something back like, we're just a couple of guys trying to do whatever it takes to meet girls. And then he adds like, it's not phony. It's adaptive. It's camouflage. <laughs> and uh, he really, he really believes that and shows how much he believes that in the way when he's talking to the girl, he's into astrology. Mm. And he says, I'm a Leo. I know. A little full of myself, but very loyal and confident. Uh, my chart says I'm overly confident, but the truth is I wound easily. And um, it also says I'll make a great father someday. <laughs> like the whole spiel is really great. And I love, I, I, I actually love, especially at the end of that scene where he's like, he gets razzed by the guys and um, as he's walking away with his top hat on, <laughs> he's like, um, and he's, the, he's always carrying a pipe as well. Yeah, so. Yeah. I, everything he does you should be like total prick but he's just so charming that yeah like, it's true oh, let him away with it's a scamp um, and then he's he's given out to the guys that like razzed him over being a Leo or whatever and he's like you ever notice when we're around baseball all you talk about is pussy now we're actually around some potentially interesting one, young women and all you can talk about is baseball <laughs> yeah there's just something about him I feel with all the other guys in the movie their meanness comes out of a competitive streak that's mm. kind of nasty or it's because they're um, immature or dumb and yeah. I feel with him he's generally always like when he's like slagging someone or he's like acting like a fool mm. it generally is coming from like oh, I just want to be funny and make yeah, them all laugh yeah, you know yeah, yeah. Um, just like, where he's, he's like uh, at the, the final party that they go to the big fancy dress kind of theatre major party and um, Jake is the only one that gets invited to it but he's like, I didn't say you guys couldn't come. You know, you can come come with me. I just think you wouldn't enjoy it. And then they they hem and haw back and forth. And then uh, Glenn Powell gets in a huddle with everyone else. He's like, theater party? 
Everyone's like theater party. It's like theater party. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love the bit where um they decide to go to the country bar after that other crazy picture Jay gets him kicked out of sound machine yeah. in the club. Very funny scene yeah. fighting over the screwdriver, and um Finnegan is not into going and says like I hate all this Cotton Eye Joe looking for love in all the wrong places. Like it's unbelievable that that's trendy everywhere. And Jake says you're not going, and he's like I didn't say that. And then it's like a hard cut to him in a cowboy hat riding a mechanical bull <laughs> in the bar, like it's something out of Yellowstone yeah. or something. Um. Just something about Finnegan as well that he seems like um, he also calls out the guys for a lot of the dumb stuff that they mm. do while also kind of like going along with it. Yeah. yeah. Like um, there's the bit where Jake you know, gets him kicked out of sound machine and Jake's like, I can't believe we're defending this guy. And Finnegan says, like, I know, it's also damn tribal. It's the pack mentality, animal instincts, all the adrenaline. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's kind of like enjoys the spectacle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, no, a lot of stuff. But I think like it's like, so apparently it's like the character has all like the best um, lines and recurring gags. But um, he's adding so much spice to those lines. Like the, the bit where he's trying to chat up Beverly and her mate at the beginning of the movie and he gets rebuffed, rebuffed and he says back like, you don't like guys that are lethic, athletic, intelligent, sometimes endearingly clumsy. <laughs> I mean, that's like a weird like thing with his body. <laughs> or um, when he's uh, saying to Jake that if a girl in college asks you what you study, just say you're a baseball player because it's like unique and it gives the girl and her friends something to talk about. And like he says, like he, he's doing an impression of the girls talking about it. And he's like, oh, how's your ball player doing? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you yeah, know, I thought Powell was a very handsome guy in Set It Up and Top Gun Maverick, but just grow out the hair and give him a mustache, mm. even more beautiful. Yeah, and um, yeah. I think it's quite telling that uh, two years after everybody wants him, like, you know, Netflix is making a rom-com with two younger leads, you know, set it up and like they literally pull Powell and Deutsch from Everybody Wants Them because they sort of steal the movie. Yeah. And I do think, yeah. well, the movie is like, I was a little struck re-watching it because of how mean a lot of the characters <laughs> are in it. Um, I do think like it's it's worth knowing that it, like, it is written and directed by Richard Linklater. Um, it's based on his experiences in college. And I, I think like having like a bunch of like, teens that haven't fully developed very testosterone yeah. teens um it makes in the sense. 80s it does yeah. make sense yeah. and um and I, I can imagine like people who him him hanging out with in college like the people he was hanging out yeah. with probably yeah. like talking about I, I do wish it was kind of a bit more uh like dazed and confused because that movie has a great kind of i mean that that movie skews kind of hev heavily towards the male side of the of the high school experience but it ha does have a lot more women in it and yeah, i think it's yeah. kind of better for that but you know the movie is the movie I really enjoyed it when I watched it. I can't wait to see it again. Um, and I, I think there are moments of kind of lurking all under all the like masculine bravado. There are moments there of quite profound soulfulness, which I think you find in a lot of Linklater movies. Mm. But like Beverly saying to Jake, like in a moment of clarity when they're hanging out in the water on an inflatable dinghy after a night of partying, like it's kind of beautiful, isn't it? That we get to feel passion in this world. <laughs> like it's really nice. Yeah, and yeah. like I think everything with Beverly once she appears in the third act is wonderful. Like yeah, the character is so cool and you can tell she has this really interesting life. She's funny. Deutsch is so charming. Yeah. And um she becomes such a focus of the story that she almost like single-handedly makes the film more than just a boys movie which up until that point it, it is mm. and like although I'm not that into like the mud wrestling I don't really yeah, believe that yeah. would ever happen yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know, um, I also love uh, White Russell's character talking about Pink Floyd where he's like 
finding the tangents within the framework. Therein lies the artistry, man. It's about finding out who you are and the space in between the notes that they're offering you. Don't be afraid to let the experience find you. And he's talking about the song, but he's also talking about life, yeah. man. Um, and then you find out he's a creep who's actually 30 years <laughs> old. old. <laughs> here, it was here for a good time, not a long time. <laughs> also, um, the ending when um, Jake and Plum finally go to class and the professor writes on the board, frontiers are where you find them. Like... Kind yeah. of a cool motto. Yeah. Uh, and then they both fall asleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The professor comes in and he's like, who's this guy? <laughs> he's like, that's our teacher. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, no. Um, and it's, it's a really good movie. And like, um, I feel like Linklater and Powell are both Texans, Texas boys. Mm. And I feel like Linklater likes writing for Powell. Yeah, I feel that you way too. You get that vibe, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, well, they're co-writing that movie, The Hitman. Exactly. To- and like, Hitman together. So. Pretty soon after everybody wants to. He's in a, a Apollo 10 and a half is that Linklater too? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't realize, yeah. So, like, yeah. That's a cartoon, isn't it? It's one of those rotoscope cartoons where right, I think you film yeah, stuff yeah. and then they... Then they draw off the frame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fair enough, yeah. Um, we move on to Set It Up. Let's do I it. I keep calling it Set It Off. That's a... That's a Don't do that. Queen yeah. Latifah Don't movie. set it off. Um, Charlie, played by Glenn Powell, is the overworked assistant to venture capitalist Rick, played by Broadway's own Tay Diggs. Um, Harper played by Zoe Deutsch, is the overworked assistant Kirsten, played by Lucy Liu. When they run into each other after trying to fetch dinner for their bosses, Harper and Charlie agree to team up and get their bosses to date, leaving more time for their own personal lives. But bit by bit, slowly, and then all at once, Harper and Charlie begin to fall for each other. Oh, you know what? Golf guy wasn't like that. He was perfect. I think your bar for perfect is really low. We stop. You know what? We're going to play a little game called Hard to Get. Hard to get. Makes no sense. It's evolutionarily unsound. Why would a caveman want a cavewoman who was like, go get me food, and when you come back, maybe there'll be a cave for you, maybe there won't be. Men should want women that are gonna keep the coziest, warmest caves. Men need shelter. I am guaranteeing shelter. Screw golf guy. I did screw golf guy. That's why I'm having this friggin' problem. No, forget about it. I will go with you to the party. I will be your other salamander. What are you talking about? What about Sis? She should see what it's like when her cave doesn't have any fire. But I'm not the cave woman. I am still the man. Let's just go. Uh, so yeah, this is a great, great, great formula. Um, um, brought into the modern world, I guess. Kind of a movie you don't... Not that you don't see anymore, but um, I think it came along just as Netflix was kind of... Um, realizing how much people wanted rom coms again, mm. um, so I don't really watch a lot of rom coms. Um, the last one I saw was Set It Up. The one I saw before that was How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. Just had its anniversary today. Or, uh, dreadful film. Oh yeah, yeah, really horrible, yeah, <laughs> sure. repulsive people. Um, <laughs> um, I so I like Set It Up a whole lot more. Yeah, sure. And. And like this, this kind of film has been made before, but how often has it been made with like such care for character? That's uh, it's a rom com that doesn't feel morally compromised as so many from the nineties and aughties and aughts do. Like how to lose a guy in ten days, <laughs> um, and you know what Charlie and Harper are doing is wrong, but Rick sort of deserves it, even if Kirsten might not. Mm. Um, and the only thing, kind of, I think in this film is that like he's still trying to find himself. Uh, like he doesn't really know what he wants to do he's working with Rick because um, or for Rick even because Rick can give him a great recommendation to become something 
But you it can, makes a lot of money. But yeah, you can tell he wants to do something very kind of capitalistic, though. Yeah, you know? yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but whether he wants to do that or whether he just wants the money is kind of like... And all the superficial things that come with it. Yeah, it's the same yeah. thing why he dates the model and they clearly have no connection. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, whereas Harper, um, the only thing she needs to improve is her writing. Um, because that's what she wants to do what she knows she wants to do well, I would say I was very confused as to um, why it took her so long to write an article as a journalist's perspective like I was like what type of article is she writing is it like a personal piece did she interview people is it like a color yeah, report yeah that's fair yeah um, it was just like cause I feel like we're, we we both write around our spare time mm. and I'm like it's you know it's not the hardest thing yeah it doesn't take that long <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's the geriatric thing that she mentions that yeah no it is, it is that, that but yeah. I'm like what about it? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And, and what? You'd be a great editor, Stephen. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and so, yeah, it's Charlie. The Charlie character in the film is the one that has to do the real, like, really hard muckraking job of, like, soul searching or whatever. Um, and I'll just, I'll, I'll end my, most of my, my short analysis in the film with this. No film with the insult douche tart in it should work as well as set it up does. But Powell treats that stumbling block like a launch pad. <laughs> yeah. No, just I, I completely agree. I I think the premise of this is so clever. You know, two overwork assistants trying to set their bosses up, but sort of falling in love in the process. Genius. Mm. Um, it's about a relatable thing. You know, the struggle to achieve a career you're passionate about, and also balance that with an active social life and romance. Um, then you set the story in New York, and you have a bunch of walking and talking scenes. It's like ooh, bustling, vibrant. Um, <laughs> I also feel like this movie exists in a more realistic world for the most part than a lot of other popular rom-coms. Like, obviously, it's still a bit heightened and there are certain moments which take me out of it. But um, I think overall, outside of the, that weird scene with Titus Burgess, you know, as the mm, elevator guy, yeah, which feels yeah. like... It, sort I of sitcom Yeah, Yeah, I love yeah. that actor, but it's like, it feels like a little... Takes me out of it a bit. Yeah, I think the issue is, is that it's kind of underwritten. You know, yeah, it's yeah. not that funny. But um, overall, though, I think it generally avoids kind of stereotypical or over-the-top mm. characters. And, yeah. And also, like, unbelievable coincidences or plot developments and instead just kind of wisely relies on the natural chemistry of two of our most charismatic rising stars yeah. to sell this, like, simple but engaging and relatable story. Absolutely. Um, and I, I like, I shout her out when talking about um, Everybody Wants Them, but Zoe Deutsch is great at playing these characters that are quirky and sweet but not in a treacly way. Mm. Um, also, I think as both Beverly and Everybody Wants Them and Harper and Set Up, she comes across as quite sincere and intelligent like even though i'm a little confused as to why it takes her so long to write an article when um she is talking about like the jerry olympics like this sports event for older people she wants to write about you generally believe that she cares about it yeah like, but yeah. you feel the passion yeah she watches a football game near the start of the movie and starts to cry yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I, I love all that um i think equally well cast as pell i think that same all-american look and knack for playing you know fast talking smart alex mm which makes him so perfect and, set, and everybody wants him is also what makes him perfect to play Charlie and set it up this like venture capitalist assistant mm. desperate to climb up the corporate ladder and I you know imagine craves a position of authority and all the superficial perks that come with that but um just Powell's got such good comic timing and natural charm like I love when his character makes a joke to Harper he breaks into a big grin like he's like <laughs> I know it's funny yeah, um, yeah. You, you always enjoy him like even when he's being an ass and you buy it eventually when he has, has this come to Jesus moment mm. and realizes prioritized the wrong thing and like I tell you what this movie has good jokes all right yeah yeah um the bit where harper's like 
I'm so sorry. I got here so early that I thought I had time to dick around. Then I went to the gift shop. Then I lost track of time and suddenly I was late. And Jenny's like, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. That's not a thing. And she's like, yes, it is. It's the overdick around thing. I overdicked it. Um, that's going to enter my personal lexicon. Yeah, like, that's a great yeah. expression. Um, Harper, all I care about is that I'm not still in the system when I'm 28 years old. That's when it gets really sad. Charlie, I'm 28. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry for you. That's very sad for you. Um, the jokes in this really evoke those old legendary rom-coms like His Girl Friday mm. where you also have two characters that don't really get along at first and are mean to each other but gradually fall sort in love. A, yeah. And, um, and all the dialogue is like hot potato. Exactly. And like you believe the characters fall for each other because while they spend so much of the movie sort of hurling insults at each mm. other, the constant barbs are so funny they actually believe that both parties involved would laugh despite yeah. being insulted you know, and respect the other person's yeah. insults. I like the one where uh, just after the over dick, dick around joke um Harper has bought all of this New York Yankees stuff to go to the baseball game that they're going to and uh, he's Glenn Powell's like why are you dressed like that and she's like I'm wearing the team jersey why are you dressed like that and he's in a suit he's like I'm not on the team do you see me wearing scrubs to the doctor's office <laughs> Why are you so quiet? You move like a Prius. <laughs> you should probably go a little easier on the ha ha ha's. You're not a psychotic clown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's got such good patter and it's delivered yeah, so well. Yeah. And but the film wouldn't be as strong if you didn't buy the mostly unspoken romance that develops between Tranny mm-hmm. and Harper. And like the scene where they're drunk and eating the pizza together and almost kiss should be projecting the Louvre. Yeah, uh, it's a work of art. Um, you literally see the moment across Deutsch and Powell's faces that the characters fall in love, and like it's that real like movie magic. Yeah, thing. yeah. yeah. No, yeah. great movie. I'm glad I watched it. I, yeah, I, really good. I can't believe I waited so long. Yeah, me too. Yeah. What a movie. What a picture. What a picture. Um, You're not hard to get at all. You're hard to earn. It's so much better. Um, You're a sore winner. You used too many exclamation points. Yeah, that, that's another good runner. The yeah. sort of like insults as a... As, a, as, as I love you. As an endearment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As you heard in the intro, this show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts. There's plenty of other great shows to check out on the network. Here's a taster of one. Sissy That Pod is a reaction podcast to all things RuPaul's Drag Race. You may have seen the memes or you may have seen the queens, but if you watch the show, then you're going to want to listen to Sissy That Pod. Every week after the TV show airs, we have a new episode with a new guest analysing, speculating and dissecting the show. Who's going to win Snatch Game? Will there be a lip-sync Lollapurusa? Who's going to be crowned Miss Congeniality? These are all big questions in our world. I'm currently covering Drag Race Season 15 with our extra special guest host, comedian and actress Erin McGaffey. So, in the words of Shania Twain, come on over and come on in to the world of Sissy That Pod, wherever you get your podcasts, or on Headstuff Plus. I know that fates are also delighted to finally get to tell listeners about Headstuff Plus. Headstuff Plus is the one-stop shop for everything on the Headstuff Podcast Network, Ireland's largest podcast network and the one to which I Know That Face belongs. If you're a fan of I Know That Face or any other shows on the network, become a member of Headstuff Plus and get bonus episodes of Headstuff Shows, other exclusive content, merchandise, early access to live events, and lots more. We here at I Know That Face have already recorded a handful of bonus episodes where myself and Andrew talk about more current news and releases in the world of film and TV. But also in the future, we have plans for more actor-themed series as well, along with releasing episode outtakes, accompanying articles, etc. All for Headstuff Plus subscribers. To sign up to Headstuff Plus, it's just €5 plus fat per month. When you sign up, no matter what show or shows you are supporting, you still get access to everything. All the bonus material for all the podcasts on the network. A lot of great podcasts. Plus, by doing so, you'll be supporting I Know The Face to bring you more top material. 
For all the details and to sign up, visit headstuffpodcasts.com. And now, back to the show. Top Gun Maverick. Let's go. Let's go into it. So this is the smash hit sequel to 1986's Top Gun. It follows Pete Maverick Mitchell, played by Tom Cruise. One and a half billion dollars. (laughs) Nearly 30 years after he graduates from the United States Navy Strike Fighter Tactics Instructor Program, a.k.a. Top Gun. Um, Top Gun. Still as much of a daredevil as we left him in 1986. The movie begins with him getting in trouble for destroying a prototype plane in an effort to go beyond the limits and show that humans are still better at flying aircraft than drones. Um, Thankfully, his old friend Iceman... Val Kilmer gets him a new assignment which is training younger Top Gun graduates for an imminent dangerous mission however Maverick's past comes back to haunt him when it turns out one of the classmates for the mission is the son of Goose Maverick's friend who died while flying with him in the first Top Gun uh, Goose's son is Rooster uh, played by Miles Teller and there's a subplot running under you know Maverick being conflicted about sending Rooster on this mission after what happened to his father and wondering if he'll be ready um, Rooster also has a rivalry with another candidate uh, the cocky and cavalier hangman played by Glenn Powell Bradshaw, as I live and breathe. Hangman, you look good. Well, I am good, Rooster. I'm very good. In fact, I am too good to be true. So, you might know what this uh, special detachment is all about? No, mission's a mission. They don't confront me. What I want to know, who's going to be team leader? And which one of y'all has what it takes to follow me? Hangman, the only place you'll lead anyone is an early grave. Whew. Oh, anyone who follows you is just gonna run out of fuel. Well, that's just you and Rooster. You're snug on that perch, waiting for just the right moment. That never comes. I love this song. Thoughts? Loved it. Loved it. I went to, went to see it alone in the cinema, um, and it was one. Of, it was like IMAX, and the cinema nearest to me that has like IMAX seating, they all come in twos. So I was the only single person there. <laughs> nice. And all I knew, but I was on a date with the movie. Yo, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I love that. Though, that movie is incredible. I think the first Top Gun is kind of like dumb fun, you know. It's all right. Yeah, it's I, fun. I, I it's only, fun I and it's funny. Watched it for the first time in the run up to this, mm. and I understand that movie is a classic for a lot of people, and I I get it because the the it's Tony Scott like looks incredible. The the flying scenes are really like immaculately done and visceral and mm. like Iceman and Maverick are cool characters but yeah. like everything else is a bit like it's the whole movie is a training exercise it's got no stakes exactly Kelly McGillis yeah, romance yeah, is really yeah. is like she's great but the movie like the, US, the romance is bad yeah, yeah the yeah. US Navy may as well be a co-writer on it yeah yeah, yeah exactly whereas um, this one is like better in literally every, every respect sense, except yeah. for maybe the fact that it's shot in digital as opposed to film so it mm. doesn't have the kind of colours and the grain of the yeah, original yeah. literally aside from that everything is better not really homoerotic enough um Oh, I like well the football scenes. Yeah, a little, it, a little, but it's, it's got no that nice one Republic song. But, yeah, but that that scene isn't getting voted scene of the year by Suck Magazine three years in a row. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that. Uh, was that on the IMDb? Uh, no, <laughs> no, no. It's there's a, there's an interview with Tony Scott where he said he he says it. He says with pride, with pride. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. As, as yeah. you should. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I loved this too when I saw it in cinema. I will say, when I did see it in the theatre, there was a problem with the sound. Um, either the non-dialogue noise was pitch higher or the dialogue was pitch lower. Something wasn't even. And um, I'm not sure what the issue was. And 
was still able to follow everything uh, and just about hear everything but it was it definitely kind of dulled the experience a little um so that might have been like i put in my top 20 of the year what rewatching again i'm like this should have been maybe my number one <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> it jumped up like so much in my estimation um just a simple decision to have all the main characters already be Top Gun graduates, mm. um, but have them like trained to undertake an extremely dangerous mission with these specific risks, just already adds so much yeah. stakes. And um, especially with Maverick now training Goose's son Rooster, and I think everyone knew Top Gun Maverick would be nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars after it was released. It was such a hit. The reviews were universally great. But I saw some people like sniggering at the movie script getting a nod in the Best Adapted Screenplay category, and to me, that's just snobby mm. because. This is an immaculate screenplay, yeah. right? It, yeah, right? it's absolutely. It takes every cliche, every old cliche you think you've seen a thousand times and makes it all new again. Yeah, absolutely. And like... John Hamm oh. and Solomon Warlock Bates. <laughs> I forget the actor's <laughs> You're name. You're a huge uh, Warlock guy. I love Hondo. You know, Tom Cruise's assistant. Hondo's great. Yeah, yeah. But I don't like that look, Mav. <laughs> the only one I got. Um, Maverick. Everyone's a guy. I love Phoenix. I love Bob. I love all the. Mm. <laughs> I love everyone. I will say that the supporting cast of Top Gun graduates, outside of like Rooster and Hangman, are kind of underdeveloped. Specifically in regard to Bob and Bob, Phoenix. I I think, like, there's subtle things with Phoenix. The fact that her and Miles Teller had a previous relationship. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but th- I mean, I, what I'm trying to say is, I know what you mean. Yeah. Uh, we understand why Hangman doesn't get on the mission. Isn't picked. Because he's, you know, he's like Maverick when he was younger. He's cavalier. He doesn't really, he hasn't learned to care enough about his comrades. He does seem like a better flyer than Rooster, though, I will say. Probably, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, But we don't really, we don't really know why Phoenix and Bob were picked. That's fair. Yeah. But I'll still say, though, like, I can, I've watched the original Top Gun pretty recently. Mm -hmm. And I've watched Top Gun Maverick pretty recently. I couldn't tell you any of the other people in Top Gun aside from Iceman and Maverick. Not even Merlin, played by Tim Robbins, who only appears at the start and end of the film. <laughs> I wouldn't if you'd been like, what's his name? I'd be like, I, c- I can't tell you. Fair enough. Um, yeah, no, yeah, 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 I see your point. Um, and I, I actually think the names are better in this. Like, oh, yeah, for sure. Payback, yeah, yeah, great name. Yeah. Fanboy? Yeah. What's yeah. he fanboying over? Like, Warlock. War- Cyclone. Cy- Cyclone. Yeah, yeah. Just like consider the way this movie like manages to make exposition such as like maverick explaining the mission the most exciting thing in the world Mm -hmm. while also at the same time that it's so clear and precise so that when you get to the final third of the movie the viewer already knows all the important rules and so the movie can just give the audience like an incredibly staged like 40 minute action sequence with minimal dialogue but and like other people pointed this out too though maverick in the movie only explained the mission up to a certain point so that when the mission you know, Slice Boris goes off the rails. The viewer doesn't know how and if, like, the characters will get home safe. And, yeah. like, the audience is truly put into the pilots' shoes. Um, but also, all of Maverick's antics throughout the movie, like throwing the rule book in the bin. Mm. Um, you know, all the unconventional train exercises, saying things like, don't think, just do. He was giving the candidates all the skills they needed to overcome such unpredictable, deadly obstacles together. It's like, not the plane. It's the pilot. Yes! Um... <laughs> And uh, I, when I saw Top Gun Maverick and Cinema for the first time, I was like, this is great. But is it really about anything? Like, is it is it chewing gum for the eyes? No thanks, Ted. Mm. But um, a rewatch really crystallized for me that this is a movie about the power of the individual, especially one who has like, devoted their whole lives to mastering like a skill. Mm. Um, you know, at the beginning of the movie, Ed Harris is am- admirable, wants to replace human pilots with drones. And before um, 
Maverick crashed that plane. Maverick shows like his unique abilities that drones don't have. And then, you know, early on, Maverick explains to John Hamm's vice admiral, vice a- cyclone, cyclone Ad- yeah. admiral, um, that the only way the mission can be completed with everyone surviving is under like these very strict, um, difficult parameters. Mm. Um, but the graduates struggle to meet those parameters at first, leading Cyclone almost to relax those parameters in a way that would see the mission be completed but most likely with some fatalities and so Tom Cruise's Maverick literally must get back into the cockpit himself and show the the graduates and Cyclone it can be done and not only you know is Maverick whose only job was to train the graduates then assigned to actually lead them on the mission it's like once they see it can be done the graduates are inspired to do it themselves like, yeah yeah. there's the bit uh, where he d- he pulls it off he pulls off the bit in the training exercise and it just cuts to Solomon Warlock Bates who has one fist in the air and he's like Yes. Yeah, yeah. In the, at the end of the movie, yeah. he's kind of like thumbs up, like yeah, yeah. so great. Love Whereas, it. like John Hamm may as well be throwing his cap on the ground, and stamping <laughs> yeah, yeah. on it. I love John Hamm. Top Gun. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, that, but all that stuff is like that. That's a metaphor for Tom Cruise. Like this movie mm. is co-written by Christopher McQuarrie, who's Cruise's now closest collaborator. I really get some. He's worked with them on the last few Mission Impossible movies, Jack Reacher, Edge of Tomorrow, and there are similarities between Maverick and Cruise. They're both daredevils. They both undertake crazy stunts for the sake of their careers, and yet while people try to dismiss them, I think with Cruise, his personal life has come under a lot of scrutiny. Mm. Um, there's been much discussion about his age. He's just turned sixty. Like, how long can he keep making these extreme action movies? Some people wonder if his star power has dimmed in recent years. But, like, this and the last few Mission Impossible movies show that, like Maverick, you can't count him out. Yeah. And that this extra effort he's putting into his movies in terms of, like, the elaborate set pieces and doing his own stunts, like, it pays off. No one thought a Top Gun Maverick sequel would be an Oscar Best Picture nominee <laughs> and make $1.5 billion, but it did because of him. And, um... We haven't even talked about Jennifer Connelly's bartender. <laughs> or Glenn Powell, really. Yeah, yeah we've got to get on to Glenn. Or Val Kilmer's cameos. Yeah. But listen, all, all, all great, all stunning. There's... This great uh, GQ profile, Powell. Did you read it? That's yeah, yeah. yeah. That's um, what I got the the dream, dream alchemy of dreaminess. Alchemy of dreaminess. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but he basically explains in that that he auditioned for the role of Rooster Goose's son, that eventually went to Miles Teller, who I think just looked more like Anthony Edwards. That's probably it. Yeah, Powell looks just as good, if not better, with a mustache. Yeah, frankly. Yeah, true. And I, but I, and I also think. Um, Teller had worked with Kaczynski, who directed Joseph Kaczynski, who directed the movie on Only the Brave, the firefighter movie. Yeah. So it must yeah. have been that too. But um, Powell then read for him, was offered the role of Hangman, or at least an earlier version of the character called Slayer. Mm. Um, which sounds kind of cool too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But according to Powell, he was unsure about taking the part because the character on the page at that stage was just a jerk. And he actually calls him Navy Draco Malfoy. Yeah. I have Dick Garnish. <laughs> Dick Garnish. Yeah, he said that too. Um, he, and Powell says about it, he was there to add conflict to Rooster's character, which is a good thing, but he wasn't three-dimensional and he had no payoff. But he said that like Tom Cruise, Macquarie, um, Kaczynski, and uh, producer Jerry Bruckheimer. It sounds like an intervention. I know. Yeah. Yeah, they all like said to Powell that like he could craft and shape Hangman into a more well-rounded character, which um, I think he did. It also sounds like um, his role was booked up a bit mm. after Powell joined because Hangman is like a three-dimensional character and does have an effective little arc with a satisfying payoff. Yeah. But um, I think it's a testament to Powell's talent that Cruise and Co. were so accommodating to yeah. him and were like, they had so much faith in him that they like altered the movie around him significantly. <laughs> um. I think what's neat about Top Gun Maverick is that like with the candidates for the mission they they experiment with the dynamics of the pilots in the first Top Gun movie because in the original Tom Cruise's Maverick acts like the hero but is like a daredevil and Val Kimmer's Iceman is the cocky mean guy but is a more like reliable steady pilot Yeah. whereas in the sequel Miles Teller's Rooster acts like 
Tom Cruise's character in the original but flies like Val Kilmer's and Hangman acts like Val Kilmer's character in the original but flies like Tom Cruise and like honestly that the latter is the more exciting mix yeah yeah and um, I think Powell does a great job pulling elements from Kilmer and Cruise's performances in the original while at the same time putting his own more comedic more modern spin on it and he's bringing that his own ineffable star quality to the role where he can just play someone delivering sarky comments or biting insults you know, with a big smile and grin and very smug and you kind of love it yeah yeah. Any moments that particular that like stand out for you or I think it's the intro really. Maybe it's the bar just, scene. Yeah, maybe it's just because they all look so good in uniform. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Yeah. Um or no, sorry, I have one. Um so the dogfight football scene, which is basically the this one, Mavericks um equivalent to the volleyball scene in the original Top Gun. Um so he gets a similar moment to Slider, who's like um He's Iceman's radar guy in the or co-pilot, I guess, in the original Top Gun, played by Rick Rossovich, who doesn't you do, say Rick Ross, Rick Rossovich, <laughs> okay, yeah. um, who um, who didn't really have much of a career outside of I think the first Terminator and Top Gun, oh. um, but there's a bit in there's a shot in the original volleyball scene where he like he like hits a serve and then flexes and it's like. All of a sudden, air has just been pumped into every single muscle on his body. I do remember this. Yeah. And there's a bit in uh, Top Gun Maverick where I think um, Hangman gets a touchdown and does the same thing or like roars basically um, and every muscle on his body pops. But the sound design, they've used Rick Rostovich's like scream of victory from Top Gun over Glenn Powell in Top Gun Maverick. That's so cool. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. That's really great. Um, I, I saw some article where Glenn Powell said that working with on The Expendables 3 with Sylvester Sloan taught him how to like sh- show his muscles on camera in a more effective way to make him look bigger, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is very funny. Um, I love the whole bar scene, the whole introduction. Um, I love Hangman strutting around like he owns the place, mm. going up to Jennifer Connelly's bartender, Penny. Penny has him, her and... Maverick's relationship is, has less time devoted to it than the, his relationship with Kelly McGuinness in the original and mm. is so much more stronger here yeah um, but um, he goes up to Penny looking um, and he, as he does so he's looking straight at Maverick across the bar his future instructor which he doesn't realise yet which is a fun nod to the original where he you know Tom Cruise tries yeah. to pick up Kelly McGuinness doesn't realise she's his instructor um but um, yeah, Pau goes over to Penny and is like, four more beers on the old timer and then winks at Maverick. <laughs> and then like him putting on slow ride on the jukebox and then going over to Rooster, his rival. And Rooster, you know, says like, Hangman, you look good in a way that implies that he does not think he looks good. Yeah. And it, that's, it's a line that's going to come back at the end of the movie. But um, Hangman responds by saying as he plays pool, well, I am good, Rooster. I'm very good. In fact... I am too good to be true. <laughs> and then he later says, like, which one of you has what it takes to follow me? And Rooster says, like, the only place you'll lead anyone is an early grave. <laughs> and Hangman, while grinning, gets right Rooster's face and intensely but calmly calls him out for being, like, a boring and slow pilot. And he says, anyone that follows you is just going to run out of fuel. <laughs> and then out of nowhere, he just goes, I love this song. <laughs> and it's it's so, he's talking about slow ride. And it's a really funny in a sort of, like, spontaneous, naturalistic way. And um, I think he has that air throughout the movie like just throwing out all those zingers um Lewis Pullman Bill Pullman's son plays Bob whose call sign is just Bob mm. great great joke yeah um but what's funnier is that when they're in the air and Hangman's like maybe you should say Bob stands for something what about baby on board <laughs> <laughs> he, he has also has a lot of lines pointing out and kind of slanging Phoenix for being the only female candidate for the mission and it, it's true Phoenix that we learned that they call Hangman Hangman because he's a selfish pilot like mm. he always leaves his wingman out to dry um 
And I think between all that and also like in the big scene where he's really insensitive to Rooster, you know, calling him out for what he calls being a conservative pilot and um, saying that he's like that because his dad died. Like he's he's a real like unrepentant ass. Yeah, um, yeah. And yet you enjoy Pellis so much of the world that when, you know, side spoilers, Hangman's not picked for the mission, uh, Rooster gets his place. You're almost as disappointed as he is. You're a bit like... <laughs> Like I'm glad overall that Rooster got it ahead of Hangman. He's like the more deserving like person. Like, yeah. But um, your sad pal is not going to be a lot in that like final action sequence. But then the movie's got an ace up its sleeve. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just love the cutbacks to Pell's Hangman during that climactic sequence on the dock, listening to the radio when he hears like Phoenix go like bullseye, 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 and he like punches the air, and it's a bit like. He was kind of hiding how much he cared about the rest of the candidates or he didn't realize how much he cared yeah, till that moment. You yeah. kind of catch him catching himself as he does it. Um, and um, I think, yeah, that's the thing that leads into his redemption arc, which not only wouldn't work if it wasn't Pell in the role, it might not have been there mm. <laughs> if the actor didn't like fight for it to be added and, you know, for his character to become more three-dimensional. So yeah. fair play to him. Yeah, yeah. Um, will we continue our... Uh, let's go. Our Navy yeah. let's, uh, team let's, with let's devotion. Keep, keep it up, yeah. In 1950, Lieutenant Tom Hudner, played by Glenn Powell, joins Fighter Squadron 32 at Quonset Air Force Base, or Naval Base, in Rhode Island. There, he meets his future wingman, Ensign Jesse Brown, played by Jonathan Majors, the first African-American aviator in the Navy. The two become friends and comrades as the Korean War breaks out. Their squadron is sent to support the defense of South Korea from North Korean and Chinese invaders. There, Hudner and Brown will learn the true cost of duty and devotion. You the transfer? Lieutenant Tom Hudner. Jesse Brown. It's good to meet you. Where'd you come in from? Pearl Harbor. Buying Bearcats? Sky Raiders. A lot of profile flights. Tracking torpedoes. Post-war busy work. You, uh, you fly in the big show? I did not. Then you'll fit right in. Did you like this? Yes, I did. I yeah, it was very good. Yeah, right? it really yeah. exceeded my expectations. Yeah, I will say I liked the. I actually liked the first half of the movie more than the second. I Did thought you? all the yeah I lo- I think he like don't get me wrong the dogfights are good um in the kind of like latter half of the movie but all the back and forth between Powell and uh majors at the start is really good it is really yeah. good. I I think it's a really like it's I'm, very it's very much like a play or something yeah I think yeah. it's a it, it, this would if back in the day if this was like um a movie that would play on TV a lot. We don't really have that culture anymore, mm. but I feel like this would be a very rewatchable movie. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just something very satisfying about all the performances, the look of the movie. You'd be like, oh, this is the bit where they go to France and mm. hang out with Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah. That's a really good part. <laughs> or this is the dogfighting part. Or is this is them starting to hang out and he meets his wife for the first time. Mm. This is great too. Like, oh, it, It's really good in that respect. Um, and we all have men in uniform. Absolutely. And Powell and Majors really know how to play to the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was already looking out for it ahead of its release because of the involvement of uh, Majors and Powell and obviously there's a connection to Top Gun Maverick because of Powell and the fact that it's about naval pilots. Mm. And to be honest, if this movie... Three Navy pilots in six years. Who's the third? John Glenn in... Oh, Hidden uh, Figures. The astronaut yeah, in yeah. Hidden Figures, yeah. Um... This, this movie could have just been like a smaller scale 50s version of Top Gun and I probably would have thought it was solid and mm. like 
I mean, part of that is why I like the movie. Like the action sequences aren't quite at the level of Top Gun Maverick. Um, this it costs like ninety million dollars, a reported ninety million dollars to make, compared to Maverick's one hundred seventy million dollars. But the flying scenes in Devotion are pretty stellar too. Yeah. And, um, like tense, visceral, weighty, and big in scope. Um, I think the whole movie looks beautiful. It's lens by Eric Messerschmidt, who is David Fincher's now regular DP, and like cinematography is very clean and clear here. A lot of wide open spaces mm. and soft pastel colors and. Um, but the shadows, Stephen. The shadows. That's where the that's where the magic is. Um, <laughs> this is on Prime Video in Ireland now, which is, I think is great because a lot of people can see it. But like, I'd have loved to have seen this in a cinema, Me too. especially yeah. over Christmas when and the first few weeks of January there wasn't a lot to watch in theaters. Mm. Um, Don't talk about Megan that way. Megan was like the <laughs> Megan was like the dam breaking. It's like suddenly, like after Megan, it's like Fableman's star. Yeah. <laughs> Like this movie's based on true events, the details of which I wasn't really aware of, and I, I thought the power of that true story and like the thoughtful, sensitive way it's depicted in devotion, like truly elevates it. And like you have Jesse Brown, played by Majors, this black pie on the fifties who put his life on the line in order to serve his country, despite like constantly facing racism, often by other people defending mm. the country. And you also have Brown eventually finding this true ally and friend in one of his white squad mates, the Tom Hunter character, played by Pell, and. I think while a lot of what Brown faces in the movie is devastating, like the relationship between he and Hudner is beautiful and life affirming, and like the ending of this movie made me cry my eyes out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and most of that, I, I think, is on like the Majors' powerful central performance. Like you, you see him as Brown, like trying at all times to remain composed and unaffected by the Haiti faces on a daily basis in the movie. But um, you also feel that just under the surface at all times, he's holding on to so much hurt and pain. Mm. And he's an actor I've really liked when I've seen him appear in things in the past like Defy Bloods and Lovecraft Country I think this is like further evidence he's the real deal yeah, yeah. Um, but I I, th- I feel like Pell deserves quite a bit of credit for why this movie works too and like as you said at the beginning like basically originated it mm, yeah he bought the rights to the book and executive produced it yeah and like he was casted before Majors and before director J.D. Dillard and um, I think him willing this movie into existence is very interesting because like the Hunter character never overshadows Brown. Mm. You know, like uh, Brown is very much the movie's lead character and focus, which is, I think, as it should be. And while I think Hutner's character is important to the story and plays an interesting role within it, it's mainly because of both how he kind of compares to Brown, like the way he's treated differently to Brown because he's white, uh, but also in what Brown teaches Hutner. You know, yeah. did you did you agree with me? I think Hell's performance, like he's dialing back like the fast talking, char- charming rogue quality yeah. here, and yeah. instead is like really just using his kind of all-American good looks, like the chisel jaw, the dimples. He's like perfectly embodying this sort of American war hero, like real life person. And um, I think there's something very classically Hollywood about the performance. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I think there's a certain kind of naivety he brings to it that um, I think the film wouldn't work without, you know, because if he was just playing someone similar to Charlie or um, or Hangman, then it, it would be a much worse film. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that I think that just reflects in the film as a whole, though, because there's like a quality and a care to the detail of devotion that gives it a, de- a degree of intelligence that I think a lot of lazier films would lack. Uh, like it only really has um, one kind of joke about um, that the fact that the main character is an African American aviator, and it's where uh, one of his uh, one of the flight crew, Bo, goes. Um, here's a headline for you. It's when he's being uh, Major's being interviewed by journalists. He's like, here's a headline for you. Black man makes good. And the commander of the squad just goes, 
shut up, Bo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and like you you so you come to this film for the dog fights, but you stay for these like shadowy heart to hearts on like lamp lit French streets or across bunks and on darkened decks. And uh, it's like the little details that make the film like Hudner smiling after Brown disobeys orders and succeeds in destroying a bridge on their very first mission together. And I think just reflecting back on Powell, I think he's a very giving actor as considering how good, first of all, how good looking he is. And second of all, that he's an executive producer on this. He could be demanding a close up for every third shot. And instead, he knows it's not his story, but a story of two men, mostly, mostly Brown, uh, who share a deep bond and an incredibly divisive and complicated time. And I think, you know, just on Powell, his his looks speak for themselves, but it's his eyes and like the lines of his the di- two like long dimples and whenever he smiles on his face that give him like an alterta- alternating sense of wisdom beyond his near- ears and the kind of playfulness you'd see in Top Gun Maverick or Everybody Wants Him. Yeah, I agree. And like, I also think it's interesting how Powell doesn't talk um, a huge amount in comparison to all of his other characters and how he's a little more reserved emotionally here. But yet you can still tell somehow just by like the clear and controlled way he speaks and how he carries himself that he's like a man of like decency and courage yeah, yeah. and um yeah some of that's in the script too like his character in the movie early on talks about joining the navy after pearl harbor because he wanted to help but that world war ii ended a month before he graduated <laughs> and he sense he's a little frustrated with that like he wants to prove his worth somehow and um you know early on that he's sound because of that moment when another member of the squad in the barbecue scene brings up brown's race uh, i think he says something like in disbelief, you know, the whole world is looking different. Do you ever think we'd be flying with a black pilot? And Paolo's Hunter makes a face like he doesn't know what to say, clears his throat and just changes the subject. Yeah. In a really kind like, of like... Well, I didn't come here to not eat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get up. Um, and there's also like, Powell, there's unspoken stuff because like, I think Paolo somehow immediately conveys to viewers that like, Hudner respects Brown as a pilot and wants to be friends with him, but also like, Brown's wary at first because of how he's been treated in the past by other um, squad mates. Mm. Um, but eventually they do come, you know, close um, particularly as they take squad leave in Cannes in France and meet Elizabeth Taylor yeah. I just want to emphasize that like that part of the movie rules yeah um, but I, I think Hunter's journey in the movie is about like two things I, it's about realizing his white privilege and that Brown has to work harder than he or any of the other squad mates because his white superior, superiors will like take any excuse to kick him out because of his race mm. um, you know there's the scene with the, their air battle where they they haven't completed the mission and Brown is ordered to turn back because the conditions are ruled as unsafe and he ignores the order because he knows he can successfully complete the mission and does. However, Hudner's after action report, while it does praise Brown, it mentions that he acted against orders, um, which Brown later angrily tells Hudner will be using an excuse to deny him promotions throughout his career. Um, which is a devastating scene because you, you really feel how unfair that is for Brown, but you know that Hunter didn't mean for that. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think Powell does great subtle work in that scene. You can feel him kind of shrink into himself in sort of shame. Mm. And um, he, that he's trying to say something, the character's trying to say something that will help, but he just can't find the words. And um, it's so sweet that he even tries to like revise the report. Like he gets testimonies from the other squad mates to say like the mission was complex. You know, he did the right thing, Brown. But Brown like says it won't help. And he says a slap on my wrist is not the same as a slap on yours. Mm. Um, also, like throughout the movie, Hunter sees Brown being racially abused by various people. And Brown chooses not to rise to the insults and not escalate situations sort of out of a self-preservation. Like, again, like if he says something or back or like fights back, he could be out of out on his ear. But Hutner always wants to come to Brown's aid and defend him, thereby escalating situations. Yeah. And like it comes from a good place, like he wants to do good, but eventually Brown has to say, like, to tell him to stop, you know, you know how tired I am of people trying to help me while looking down on me. 
he basically says like i i need you to i don't need you to protect me or fight my battles i need you to be my friend yeah and you know treat me as an equal and um i think the scene between huntner and brown's wife daisy played by a wonderful uh christina jackson Mm. really strong um their scene after the tense as hell very emotional final battle scene i think puts a beautiful bow on that element of the story and the, the film as a whole and I think a lot of the last 25 minutes of the movie, Pell is doing that thing we love where you can tell the character wants to cry, yeah. but is holding back the tears and, um, you know, it reads on screen. You know? And um, I think he's, uh, yeah, very strong in the movie, given this quieter, more emotional, more classical, starry performance and showing he can be more than just the cheeky supporting player. But yeah, like you said earlier, what impressed me the most about Pell and Devotion is that like it's totally selfless work. Um mm. He and Majors played the two main characters, but Majors Brown is more of the lead, as he should be given the story. And like Majors is getting all the big acting moments and lines, and Powell is mostly doing this subtle work to the side as Huntner. And like it's that selflessness is even more impressive when you realize Powell played such a big part in getting the movie made, and he seems to have really understood that this is a story about racial inequality, and as mm. such, Brown should be the focus. And you can just imagine a worse version of Devotion made in the nineties, where they bulk up the Huntner character to be the lead and give him a girlfriend. Yeah, and yeah. Brown is very much a supporting player, and they hire a white director, and its points about race are more ham-fisted. And um, I, Devotion's not that, I don't think. To its no, credit, no, not at all. Um, next for Powell. You mentioned today he got cast in a new role. Yeah, I think it's I wasn't called. Aware of this. Um, I think it's called Locked, based on an Argentinian film called Four by Four. I think, and uh, Powell, I think, plays a thief who breaks into an SUV owned by Anthony Hopkins, and then it turns into this kind of I want I want, I don't want to say saw trap kind of situation, but like something something messed up is going on and Anthony Hopkins is at the is at the root of it I think oh, yeah. that, that Hannibal Lecter up to his old tricks yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that sounds great I'd be into that mm. should they do a Manhunter remake with uh, Hopkins and, um, and Powell <laughs> Powell as uh, Will Graham maybe yeah. Yeah. Um, I just want to see him do more rom-coms well-written ones. Well, listen, Zoe Deutsch. I've got good news for uh, the Zoe Deutsch thing. Mm. Um, in pre-production, he has an untitled or rated rom-com, which he's set to star in with Sydney Sweeney um, from the director <laughs> of Easy A. Wow, okay. Could be, yeah. could be good. I'm not yeah. sure if it's started filming yet, so it could be. Yeah, might, might, might not happen at I need, all. I need Seth photos, baby. Yeah. Um, but the big one I'm very excited for is Hitman. Um, Powell reteaming with Linklater, I think for the fourth time. Um like Devotion, Powell spearheaded the project in that GQ article we were talking about. Um, it says, you know, Powell first came across the idea for Hitman after reading a Texas monthly article about a cop working undercover as an assassin for hire, uh, which he then brought to Linklater to see if the director would be interested in co-writing a script. Powell's writing this movie. Mm. Very exciting. And um, I think like... That's initiative right there. I, exactly. I think, I, I'm always very impressed by people who are like... I Give it two years, we'll be hearing about him directing. Yeah, I, I, oh, I, I couldn't find the right roles, so I just wrote a thing. Like, that's yeah. how Matt Damon and Ben Affleck are, became A-listers. Yeah. You know, go hunting. Um, but I think um, all the projects there sound like they could be really big, and I feel like all Powell needs to become a major star is one or two of those projects that he's like the star of, he's center stage to really hit with the public. And mm. uh, I hope it happens to him. Yeah, or absolutely. Happens for him. Yeah. Um, write and review and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. If you have a friend who's really into the movies, why not recommend them our show? Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you love I Know The Face, please consider joining five euro a month to us through Headstuff Plus where you can find special exclusive bonus episodes. We've multiple available now including a few in our Leading Legends series. We don't have to run through it. I'm getting fed and up You know who that. we are, yeah. Um, yeah. We also recently released a 2023 Look Ahead episode there. Um, Andrew, where can people find more of your work? You can find me at the Head Stuff Gaming section where we talk about what we play, why we play, and how we play it, and at fortnitefrights.wordpress.com where I run a 
fortnightly uh, blog on horror movies. What are we up to? What year are we on? We are on 1935 this week with Bride of Frankenstein. Excellent. Mm. Okay, wow. Um, you can follow me on Letterboxd and my Lucene Ports your portfolio. You can also check me out at Joe.e. I just recently wrote a feature about Videodrome for its 40th anniversary that people can check out. See you there, Cinephiles. Bye-bye. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. 